Brook, Kansas. Last week we talked about sin. Did everybody enjoy that? Well, before I open with a prayer, I just felt compelled to come back and revisit that for just a very, very brief moment. What is sin? Why do we talk about this thing called sin? And is it really a problem in my life? Well, let's make that as clear as we can. Sin is anything, thought, attitude, deed, words, anything that is less than perfect. It's anything in our lives that would violate the holiness and purity of God the Father. Anything. And that can be, like I said, it can be a deed, action, thought, word. It can be anything. But if it, anything in our life that isn't pure, isn't holy, isn't perfect, according to the standards of God, and we violate his nature by being less than perfect, less than holy, that's sin. That's sin. Now, if anybody can escape that, I'm going to tell you something with all seriousness. If anybody can think they escaped that, then Jesus Christ died for nothing. If anyone can measure up to the perfect holiness and purity of God in and of their own attitude, think, education, whatever it is, then Jesus Christ was, listen to me, a fool for suffering and dying. Folks, that's how serious the sin issue is. Let's pray. Father, we just take this moment to, to not, not just focus on the depth of our sin, but the magnitude of your grace. That you and in your infinite love and kindness would forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. That's the astounding, amazing truth of the gospel. That we are that sinful, you are that holy, and yet you offer to us grace and mercy so that we may become children of God. Wow. So thank you, Father. Thank you for that. We do pray for those who are struggling this morning with uh, physical issues. We pray for Debbie Ansley. We pray for Richard Wagner and their respective families, Father, that you would comfort them, give them peace, and, Father, bring healing. For the glory and honor of your son, we pray. If it be your will that you would bring healing to these bodies. And Father, we pray for the rest of this time together in this time of praise and worship that, that we would recognize you as king. That we would recognize you as the Christ, the son of the living God. That we would recognize you as Lord and master of and over all. And Father, only the Holy Spirit can do that. No man, no human being is able to bring someone to conviction. No one except you can save a soul. So I pray that your will be done. And all the people of God said, amen, amen. Last week, fellowship, the test of obedience, does what we believe change the way that we live is our Christian profession visible evidence of a Christian walk or Christian life? Light versus darkness, life versus death. Today in fellowship, we have the test of love. 
So last week we talked about the test of obedience. This week we talk about the test of love. And we'll discover, I hope that we'll discover that that this is the driving or compelling force in our Christian life. The test of love, our fellowship with Christ, hinges on our love for Him and our love for others. He is the standard. He is the measure of all things. And I run across this just in the last couple of days. I'm going to read very short excerpts out of it. It's a couple of uh, uh, devotionals by Oswald Chambers. And we talk about Jesus being our example. We talk about him. We, we follow Christ. Paul even makes a comment to the church at Corinth and therefore to us. He says, follow me as I follow Christ. So he sets the standard. Paul says, don't follow Paul follow the Paul that follows Jesus. Does that make sense? Well, Chambers has this to say, and, and I, just, I read just a few words here. The, the, Beware of thinking of our Lord as only a teacher. If Jesus is only a teacher, then he, all he can do is frustrate me by setting standards before me I cannot attain. What is the point of presenting me with such a lofty ideal if I cannot possibly come close to reaching it? I would be happier if I never knew it. What good is there in telling me to be what I can never be, to be pure in heart, Matthew 5 and 8? To do more than my duty or to be completely devoted to God, I must know Jesus Christ as my Savior before his teachings has any meaning for me other than that of a lofty ideal which only leads to despair. But when I am born again of the Spirit of God, I know that Jesus Christ did not come only to teach. He come to make me what he teaches I should be. I love that. The redemption means that Jesus Christ can place within anyone the same nature that ruled his own life. And all the standards of God gives us the base of that nature. And finally, the mystery of holiness is that the perfect qualities of Jesus Christ are imparted as a gift to me, not gradually, but instantly, once I enter by faith, into the realization that he became for me sanctification. Sanctification means nothing less than the holiness of Jesus becoming mine and being exhibited in my life. And listen to these closing words. The most powerful secret of living a holy life does not lie in imitating Jesus. Listen carefully. The most wonderful secret of living the holy life does not lie in imitating Jesus, but in letting the perfect qualities of Jesus exhibit themselves in my human flesh. That's sanctification. That's holiness. It is a wonderful life that is imparted to me as sanctification, imparted by faith as a sovereign gift of God's grace. Am I willing for God to make sanctification as real in me as it is in his word? You see, brothers, that is our hope that we walk and live in the holiness of Christ as it's being exhibited in us through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. We cannot make that stuff up. It has to be a manifest, visible evidence of the Holy Spirit in us. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word this morning and see where He'll take us on this journey of love. 1 John chapter 2, verses 7 through 11. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment, 
that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness, walks in the darkness, and does not know where he is going, because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Father, we pray that you would bless the reading of your word, that you would be honored by it, and that would be, we would be transformed by it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Please be seated. You know how often or how easy it is for, for words to lose their value when we just use them continually with, and, and it almost becomes a rote, just a, a repetition of words and pretty soon it's just, ah, well, I've heard that before. Love can be that word. I love this weather. I love apple pie. I love the color blue. I love my wife, and I love baked beans with bacon in them. Now, you see what I slipped in there? So is my love for my wife the same love that I have for the weather or for baked beans? Well, obviously not. I love the way my wife fixes baked beans, but it's not the same love. That's all I'm trying to say. We, we use this word so much it loses its impact. And brothers and sisters, when we're talking about the love of God, we're talking about the, the, the unfathomable depth and width and breadth of all that we could ever, ever begin to grasp. The love of God is so infinitely great, we can never fully understand it, and we'll never realize it until we're before him at his throne in glory. His love is so magnificent. We have, well, there's no possible way, and I don't want to frustrate you. I want to be careful that I don't just give you frustration. Then we could call you a pastor. No, leave it alone. When we say things like we can never understand, I, I want to be cautious with that because we can understand. We just cannot fully understand the depth of God's love. We have devalued the word love by broad, meaningless applications. Remember the love boat. And, and, and sometimes you get bitten by the love bug. You see, it's, it's just it's bleh, uh, nonsense. It, it doesn't have any value. But John tells us that love is the core principle in a life that is real. Life, love, light are inseparable, and he gives us three things to consider in measuring our Christian love as we live out our lives, an old commandment and a new commandment. Well, let's go back to the old first, two scripture verses, Deuteronomy 6 and verse 5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Now, that may sound familiar because it's repeated by our Lord in the New Testament. But there's also the rest of the law of love found in Leviticus chapter 19, verses 17 and 18. 
You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord, he says. So we find this law in, in Deuteronomy, and we find this law even early in Leviticus, and some would say, well, that's older than Jesus. <laughs> no, it's not, because Jesus has always been the model of love. But John says now, it's no new commandment, but an old one, and I'm giving it under new conditions. Point number one, love is the fulfillment of the law. It's the fulfillment of the law. Beloved, I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. This is a new emphasis on a new life. Previously, John had mentioned the commandments, plural. Now he brings it down to one. Jesus boiled the law of the prophets into two commandments. Love the Lord God with all your mind, heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. He says, this summarizes how is it possible for one commandment to stand above all the others? Romans 13, verses 8 and 10 tell us. Oh, what, no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Isn't that amazing? Do you see how this is elevated to the very pinnacle of all that God has said? For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. That's amazing. So in Matthew 22, the Pharisees are challenging Christ, as I mentioned earlier. And uh, he, he, he is going to silence them. They, the Pharisees and the Sadducees had gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, you know you're in trouble, right? A lawyer asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Can you, can you just envision this for a moment? This, this pious, self-righteous man thinks, I got him now. And, and, you know, you can just kind of picture a little, little smirk, just a little smile as he sits back and say, ha, ha, what are you going to do with that one, teacher? And he, Jesus, said to him, you shall love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Brothers and sisters, how can we emphasize this anymore? Jesus is saying, it all rests right here. This is the foundation of everything else that is said. It all rests on this commandment to love. This cuts to the very heart of the Christian faith. This is no game, and we need to stop trying to fool God. There is a love problem in our culture today. There's a love problem in the church today. The commandment to love is not an appendix or an afterthought. It's everything. It's everything. In 1 John three fourteen, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers 
Whoever does not love abides in death. When a sinner trusts Christ, he or she receives a new life and a new nature. Back in Romans chapter 5, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into his grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in suffering, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. You see, that's the evidence of salvation because the Holy Spirit will be the pouring out of love into our lives. Love one another is repeated at least a dozen times in the New Testament and multiple other references. Christian love is not a shallow emotion that comes and goes. Remember the, the, the old test of, of being loved? The daisy, he loves me, he loves me not. He loves me. He loves me not. Brothers and sisters, that's not God's love. <laughs> God's love is he loves me, 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 he loves me. And when all the petals are gone, he still loves us. He still loves us. It's compelling, irresistible power that won't let us hate or hold on to a grudge or unforgiveness. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you this question, and, and please do not publicly respond, but in the privacy of our own hearts, have you ever really wanted to hate somebody? Have you ever just, you just really wanted to? You wanted, I, I mean, I'm getting angry just thinking about it. You know, I, I just, they, they hurt me, they wronged me, it was unjust, unkind, it was unrighteous, it was ungodly, and, and I want that, I, boy, and, and, all of a sudden, you say, doggone it. It's going to be a whole lot easier to just forgive them, isn't it? You see, brothers and sisters, that, that is the gospel. If, if you are hating or, or harboring anger and unforgiveness uh, against someone, there's something wrong with your love meter. There really is. I, I, boy, there's some people I just really want to stay mad at and and. The Holy Spirit just restrains me. Isn't that frustrating? No amens. Okay, it's just me, Adam. I'm sorry. Love one another. It's because we understand. We, we, we come to this point of understanding of how unlovable we are, yet God loves us unconditionally. Unconditionally. You see, husbands, you don't love your wives. You don't really love your wives if you say, I'll love you if, I'll love you when. And wives, you don't really love your husbands. I'll, I'll love you if you'll just change this. I'll love you if you'll just do this. That's not love. That's, not, that's conditional affection. And, and it, has, it has no value. It has no value. You see, God showed his love for us that while we were still sinners... Christ died for us. That's love. Point number two, love is the foundation and focus of our fellowship. In verse eight, at the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. This is a new example for living. If we consider all the people that the Lord ministered to from the tax collectors and sinners were attracted to him, 
and, and the lowest of the low were attracted to him and welcomed by him. Spiritually hungry rabbis like Nicodemus would visit him in the night and he welcomed them. 4,000 people, 5,000 people would listen to his teaching and then enjoy a free meal, but they were drawn to him. Was it because he was just a miracle worker? Well, many was, many it was. But there was something about this man. There was something about him that no other man could exhibit, and it was in his perfect love. Perhaps the greatest thing about Jesus' love was the way it touched even the lives of his enemies. He looked with loving pity on the religious leaders who were spiritual blind, those that accused him of being in the league of Satan. When the mob came to arrest him, he arrested him. He could have called the armies from heaven for protection, but he yielded to his enemies. And then he died for them. Yes, he died for his enemies. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. But Jesus died not only for his friends, but also for his foes. You see, in the teachings of Christ... And in his death, Jesus is the perfect example of the new commandment, love one another. We like to compare ourselves to other believers. I, I know this is far too common in, uh, in every walk of life. Uh, there, there's always somebody that, that we look up to or look down upon. And brothers and sisters, that will lead us astray. It will lead us astray. We must keep our eyes on Jesus. We must focus on Christ, the author and the perfecter of our faith. We are to love our neighbor, not compare ourselves to them. You know, I told somebody one time, you always want to set the bar low. That way it's easier to excel. Set the bar low, that's not what Christian life is. Our example is to follow Christ and Christ alone. The standard of Christian living is Christian love. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. When we pick someone else to compare ourselves to, it's always easier to exalt ourselves. And the scripture says, please do not think too highly of ourselves. Love is the fulfillment of the law. It's a new emphasis and a new life. Love is the foundation and focus of our fellowship. It's a new example for living. And point number three, love is a preeminent feature that identifies us as Christians. Whosoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. We have a new emphasis for a new life, a new example for living, and a new experience for life truly lived. Continuing emphasis on light and darkness. Our passage continues the, 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 this illustration if a Christian walks in the light and is in fellowship with God he will also be in fellowship with others in God's family love and light go together much as hatred and darkness go together you see it's easy to talk about Christian love much more difficult to practice it for one thing, such love is not mere talk. For a Christian to say or sing that he loves the brethren while he actually hates another believer. And we use this word hate, and I, and I know that's, that sounds very abrasive, very assured, but uh, it's hard to find the line between anger and hate. It really is. We, we don't like to admit that, but it's a pretty blurred line. 
that he loves the brethren while he actually hates another believer, the scripture says that for him is to be a liar. There's one reason why God established a local church, folks. And this is very important as we come to a close. One, one of the key reasons, I should say, for the establishment of the local church, because you can't be a Christian alone. We're not designed that way. We're designed to be sheep. We travel in flocks, okay? We travel together. We live together. We, we grow together. You cannot be a Christian in isolation. A person cannot live a complete and developing Christian life unless he's in fellowship with other believers. The Christian life has two relationships, vertical and horizontal, Godward and manward. And what God has joined together, let no man ever separate. And each of us must pursue these two relationships, saying and doing, talk the talk, walk the walk. If we say we are walking in the light, folks, there will be proof. There will be proof in loving others. In John 13, 35, Jesus says, By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. There's a distinguishing characteristic of a Christian. To love others, Christians, means to treat them the way God treats them and the way that God treats us. Christian love that does not show itself in action and attitude is shallow and artificial. But let's return to another key point John has mentioned earlier in the passage. Joy. Joy. Anger is a great joy robber. It's a thief. Anger is a thief. Bitterness is a thief. Unforgiveness is a thief. It robs people of their joy. It robs people of the joy. I'm not telling you you lose your salvation if you get mad at someone, but you will lose your joy. You can very easily lose your joy. You see, love does not live alone. Love and joy are inseparable. Love produces joy. Anger, resentment, unforgiveness, hatred rob people of joy. You can always see it in their faces. And I'm very, very serious about this. Christians who walk in love are always experienced and experiencing a joy in their life because the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy. The Spirit of God makes the commandment love one another into a new and exciting experience in the way we live our lives. God's Spirit produces love. If we walk in darkness, our own selfish spirit produces everything that's not love. A life that is real is an honest life. It's not, I, I, I want to bring a, just a moment of clarity, if I may. We got to be careful that we don't measure doing versus being. Let me explain. Loving someone is not something we just go out and do. It's who we are. It's who we are. It's our identity in Christ. And to love one another flows from who we are, not what we do. If we try to measure things by what we do, we'll never measure up to the holy requirements of the law. We have to measure ourselves against Christ, right? Who is our righteousness? Who is our holiness? And there are times, folks, when we struggle with life and we struggle with, with situations and and. And, and hurt and pain and sorrow, and, and, and I'm being very, very blunt, people will disappoint us. 
people will disappoint us. And it's not because they maybe even intended to. Sometimes they do. And it hurts. It hurts. And we cry and we weep. But as I've told others, and most often conviction comes to my life by something I'm trying to share with someone else. And I think, wow, do I really believe what I'm saying? Do I really believe what I'm saying? If I'm asking this person to consider these biblical principles, is my life a demonstration of the principles I teach? And it's a good time of introspection. The pastor is going to disappoint you. Do you hear me? The pastor is going to disappoint you somewhere or some way down the line. He's going to say something. Maybe it's out of context. Maybe it's inappropriate. Maybe it just, it just didn't fit or it didn't settle. Or, or he wasn't there. He wasn't there when you needed him. We're human. A brother and a sister is going to disappoint you. They're going to disappoint you at some point, somewhere down in life. And we have to decide what we're going to do with that, folks. We have to decide what we're going to do with that disappointment immediately because disappointment is the first step into resentment. Resentment. And now we've built walls around us. We've built walls around us. My friends, Christianity is not a game. And we need to stop trying to fool God and let God take the foolishness out of us. Do we love? And we just have to ask ourselves, do I love the Lord my God with all of my heart, mind, soul, and strength? And do I love my neighbor as myself? And if we cannot, with absolute affirmation, say yes to both questions, then we need to check our relationship. Because not only are we out of fellowship, we may have a relationship problem. Because only the Holy Spirit can produce that in us. Only the Holy Spirit can produce that in us. We do not have the whatsoever for to make it happen. Do I love? And not the lovable. I think it was a couple of weeks ago I even made mention. If there is someone who is particularly difficult in your life right now, instead of being angry about it, I would encourage you to go to the Lord and say, what is this person's purpose in my life right now? Why have you placed that person in my life? It isn't that just aggravate me. God isn't about that. He's far more serious than that. If there's someone in your life that you're having trouble with in a relationship, we need to stop and pause and say, God, why have you placed this person in my life? What do you want to accomplish in my life through this person? Amen? And then the best way to find healing is go hug them. Go hug them. And if you can't find the, 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 the strength to, to go hug them, then you say, Jesus, will you go hug them and take my arms with you? Is 
it'll work, folks. It'll work. Because, you see, God has shed his love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. And I confess, I've been angry at people. And it's frustrating when God keeps trying to heal me. I, I like being a little angry once in a while. It's, it's called justification. <laughs> it doesn't work. It doesn't work. And praise God, he loves us too much to let us continue down that path. Praise God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the love that you have given us. Thank you for the love that is ours through Jesus Christ our Lord. Thank you for grace and mercy, infinite, magnificent, so beautiful, and so abundantly free. May we come to you today. May we come to you on humble knee. And ask for you to forgive us where we have fallen short, to forgive us where we have acted inappropriately towards another brother or another sister. And Father, bring reconciliation and healing to any relationship on this, on this horizontal plane. Bring healing to any relationship that is fractured so that our relationship, that our fellowship with you would be completed in joy.